Well, if you have a Bible, if you would make your way to Romans chapter 6 this morning, while you're making your way there, I want to remind you that we do have bulletins in our main lobby, and inside of that bulletin is a place for you to take notes, if you like to take notes, and also our printed prayer list is in there, and uh, we are... We are privileged to be a part of the body of Christ, and part of that privilege is praying for one another. And so I would encourage you to be praying through the names on our prayer list each and every day. The people on it need it, and we need it. And so I want to be encouraging to be praying for those on the prayer list, and specifically be praying for Nancy Howard. Uh, You see her name there. It says rehab. Uh, the infection continues to grow in her foot, and so they're going to have to amputate more of her foot in the next couple of weeks. So just be praying for the doctors and the nurses, give them wisdom as they continue to deal with that situation and provide the best care possible for her. Well, we are in the third week of our series called Dead or Alive. And so this series is based out of Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. And we uh, are walking through this chapter and giving just a brief overview and snapshot of some of the things that we see taking place here. And in the first part of this series, we learned that the real reason that Jesus came to this earth was much better than anyone had expected. And we started this series on Palm Sunday on purpose because it is where historically the church has celebrated Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem and the disciples, they thought Jesus was coming into town to do something different than Jesus had planned to come to town for. They thought he was coming and they were going to rule and reign here on earth and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom and things were going to get better for their nation. But Jesus had a different plan. His plan was better than what they had expected that he came to bring people peace. He came to bring us hope. He came to give us strength when we encounter difficult seasons and suffering. He gave us his spirit and ultimately he showed us his love by going to the cross for us. And then last Sunday, we looked at the, the, the process of how one life brought us death through Adam, but one death brought us life through Jesus. That we have all sinned, and sin leads to condemnation, but we can all be rescued, and we have abounding grace through Christ. And so that brings us here to chapter 6 here in Romans. So let's begin reading together, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read a lengthy section of verses together this morning, starting at verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this, like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So here's a question that I've been asked many times as a pastor, and especially during my days as a student pastor. And it's really a great question. And the question's like this. Since I am a Christian, does it matter if I sin? And because that's such a great question, there are several pieces to the answer. It's true, as Christ followers, as people who have been saved by his grace, we are covered by that grace. So we might ask the question a different way. We might ask, if his grace is abounding, as chapter 5 ends with, where is our motivation now to abstain from sin on a daily basis? Now, I'm sure we've all wrestled with this at times. I know I have. That when our wicked nature, it activates and it tries to convince us that this sin that we're about to commit, it's not really that big of a deal. Because here's the reality. I can sin and I can always ask for forgiveness and he's always going to forgive me. But there's a piece to that that we miss that it requires something called repentance. Not just the the activity of saying you're sorry, but repenting of that sin and turning from that sin. You see, repentance requires this thing called a genuine heart, which we're supposed to guard, by the way, from sin's influence in our lives. And so the danger is this. If I let my heart get so far away that I've developed a habit of sin— Will my heart even be in the condition to be truly sorry for my sin and then turn from it? And that's a great way to to ask that question as we talk about this issue of sin and its presence in our lives and what we do with it. And we can cue very one effective motivation for staying away from sin, and it's the word consequences. You could also insert the word discipline there. The Bible tells us that God will discipline his children, the ones that he loves. And if you're a parent, you're very familiar with this process or this concept of discipline and consequences. We give our kids consequences often to motivate them to not do the the wrong thing that they just did. And maybe it was because it was dangerous and it was harmful. But the most important piece to our motivation for not sinning is the fact that our lives are supposed to reflect something different. Our lives are supposed to reflect the freedom that we have in Christ to now fight sin. 
that we're no longer slaves to sin. And you see this language throughout the Bible. We are slaves to Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. It's, it's basically the entire theme of the book of Galatians. We are free from the enslavement to it. And we are now called as Christians to walk in holiness. We are now called to live a, a higher standard of living. You see, your life should reflect your freedom. And really, if you look at the book of Romans and you boil this down, there's several different themes that are running in the fabric of this book. Several different things are, are, are discussed, like justification. We're going to talk about that more. We've already talked about that. The process of sanctification is seen, but there's something significant happening here because there is this battle going on in the early church about the old covenant versus the new covenant. And you see this playing out where the Jews thought that they were this elite group of people and that the gospel was only for them and that the Gentiles were not meeting the standards of the law that the Jews were, were always striving to meet. And so there was, this, there was this butting heads between the two groups so often. And you see this addressed by the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 through 11, this issue of, of their sinful perspective on the gospel and how it has affected them. And so you see this theme running in, but if this idea of grace is always abounding, as we read in Romans 5, then why is sin such a big deal? Which is why Paul starts in verse 1 by asking the question, should we continue to sin? He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Those verses should cause us to pause for just a moment. And as I addressed just a moment ago, these are questions that you may not ask out loud, but we ask internally from time to time. Grace is massive, and grace is beautiful, and grace is undeserved, but since it's there, is sin really that big of a problem? If God will always take us back, if God will always forgive us, then there's no incentive in our minds often to abstain from sin. And this should cause us to pause and think about what the rest of Scripture says about the issue of sin, what the rest of Scripture challenges us to do in this pursuit of holiness. And it comes back to this issue of justification often, and that is the truth that God does everything for us so that we can now live this life that is separated from sin. So I want to quickly revisit this process of justification when we are saved, when we are regenerated, when we are brought back to life through the gospel, through our faith and belief in the gospel, we are given new life and we are put into a new position. We are put in this position of, of just as if we had never sinned. And you all have heard that. But verse three says something significant. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is symbolism. 
This is the picture that we see celebrated during baptism of what has already taken place for the Christian. And it's this process of of being baptized that we have been joined with Christ now, that he is our life, that his death is our death, and we are victorious over, uh, we are victorious because of his resurrection, and we can walk in newness of life because of his example. That's really the picture of baptism. When we baptize somebody, it is this picture of we have, we have now been, now we have been baptized and we have been raised to walk in newness of life, but we only have that option through the work and the example of Jesus. You see, when we're saved, we're connected to Christ, which now makes sin a big problem. Because if Christ has taken up residence inside of us and his Holy Spirit is living inside of us, Sin's going to be an issue in your heart. So back at the time of our salvation, we died to sin and we were joined with him. And now when we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. You feel something when you sin, which is why we often ask the questions we ask when, it, when we think about sin and how it plays its role in our hearts. See, we were buried with Christ and we died to sin. We have power now from the Father. We now have his spirit that enables us to live a new way. We now have his word that instructs us how to live this new life. And Colossians 2 says that we have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. There are so many wonderful scriptures that speak about this process of dying to sin and walking in this newness of life. And we're gonna look at those in just a moment. But the first thing that I wanna highlight this morning is this, is that God is the one who is moving in you. We are regenerated and brought back to life by God. That he was raised to life and so are we, verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Once again, Paul is highlighting this this issue of hope that we have to look forward to as Christians that we are going to be resurrected one day. We are going to spend eternity with Christ and the old part of us should now be dead to us. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 says, you were, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In Colossians chapter three, verse nine, Paul writes again, do not lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Hold your place in chapter six and flip one page forward to chapter seven, or chapter eight, go two chapters. Chapter eight, we see in chapter eight this continuation of how sin loses its power in us. Look at verse five. We're gonna read verses five through 14. 
It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is speaking to the Christian here. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not in the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see, before Christ, before you were saved, sin had ownership of you. But now, because of what Christ has done in you through the gospel, the power of sin no longer owns you. Verse 7 reminds us of that. For one who has died has been set free from sin and we now live with him. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. You see, your life should reflect your freedom. And don't miss the magnitude of this fact. Death doesn't have a grip on Jesus and death doesn't have a grip on you. Verse nine, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. We just celebrated that. We just sang about that just a few moments ago that, that Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave and he offers us life. And that is something that should be remembered and celebrated every single day of our lives. The fact that Jesus has power over all of death means something big for us in our eternity. It means that we can have hope for the future. We've talked about that so much. Don't forget that. That when Satan is beating the snot out of you, we have hope for the future. We have joy for the journey. And we have purpose for the day. And the next point also means something big for our lives on earth. Verse 10 reminds us that the power of sin has been completely conquered by him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's something we should mirror in our lives. That means that we can act in light of Jesus' example, and we can rely on his strength alone as we live the life that he's called you and I to live. That our life should reflect our freedom. That we should consider ourselves dead to sin and its power over us. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. You see, God does this work through us. He does it through us. And so here's the challenge this morning. Here is the, here's the call to believers. Here's the plea from the Apostle Paul. Here's what's required of us that's not required of someone who does not yet know Jesus as their Savior. This does not apply to the person in the cubicle next to you that does not know Jesus. This does not apply to your neighbor This does not apply to your best friend. This does not apply to the couple who's living together. It's not required of your unsaved friends at school who who party. It's not until they're saved that this applies. Their life isn't intended to be a representation of who your life is supposed to be a representation of. We cannot expect the lost world to live like Christians. They're unable to do so. They're not given the same mandate that we're about to be given here from the Apostle Paul. They're not given the same challenge. And it's a simple challenge. It's not profound. And so here's the call to every Christian who's sitting in the room this morning. It's simple. Don't be controlled by sin. Don't be controlled by it. It's not who you are anymore. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You should memorize that section of verses. And with each and every struggle that you encounter, because you will, you remind yourself of truth. That we are no longer slaves to our old self. We are no longer bound to our sin. We have been set free. Don't let any part of you be used by evil to serve the mission of sin. If we could write out mission statements today, we say it all the time, our church's mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The mission statement of Jesus could basically be summed down to what he says in the book of Luke. He came to seek and to save the lost. The mission of our enemy Satan is to lead people away from Jesus. And so we all should be reminded of that mission statement. That we do not serve the mission of sin. We were once dead, but now we have been brought to life through the gospel and we serve a different mission. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean that there isn't a struggle. That doesn't mean that you will always get it right. But there is a perspective shift that takes place because the Spirit of God is living inside of us. So we use all that we do And we pursue holiness and we pursue righteousness because that's what is right. Because that is what Jesus has called each and every believer in his name to do. And we do it for God's glory. Don't present yourself as an instrument to sin. 
present yourself to the Lord. Romans 12 will tell us to appeal therefore brothers by the mercies of God and present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship and do not be conformed to this world. Don't adapt the principles of this world into your daily living. Don't get caught up in the things that the world is caught up in but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is the power of the gospel and its work and his word at work inside of you for the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You will be tested. But how you respond reveals who you worship. So don't be controlled by sin. Sin doesn't own you. We do live under grace and not the law. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Look at Romans 7. Romans chapter 7 starting in verse 14. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh... For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's the battle. There's the struggle. Galatians chapter five, verse 17 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you should be doing. You see this battle. There's God's mission. There's the enemy's mission. We live in this world and we battle it. We wage war against it. But we can be victorious over it. You see, sin doesn't own you. We have been made new. The old is gone. It has lost its power. And your life should reflect your freedom. Your life should reflect your freedom. There will always be forgiveness when you repent. But that's not the best option. The better option is to consider yourself dead to sin 
and consider yourself not under the control of sin any longer because you've been made new. And his spirit is in you and his spirit will equip you to be who he has called you to be. So does your life reflect your freedom from sin today? If you think back on last week, you think back on the actions of your life, does your life reflect your freedom? I mean, think, think about last week, your worst day at work. On that day, did your life reflect your freedom? Or in the morning when you're grumpy? Or in the afternoon when you're bored? Or at night when you're, when you're tempted? Does your life reflect your freedom? Because it should. We should be different. We should we should be different. Simple truth and not so easy to do, right? Because it is a war that we wage. It is a war that we're involved in. But God has given us everything that we need to fight it because he is living in you. And so Christian, does your life reflect your freedom today? Do you find yourself asking those questions of, hey, if I'm gonna be forgiven, why does it matter if I sin? Well, you're just missing the mark. You're missing the purpose of living a holy, righteous life. You're missing the blessing of following Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that life, following and serving him is always better and so that's the best place to be. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, does your life reflect your freedom? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've yet to be saved. You don't know what it feels like to be brought from death back to life. You are a slave to your sin. You have no other option. You will only be a sinner there, there is nothing else for you other than the free gift of grace through the person of Jesus Christ. And so maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not received the free gift of grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That you didn't know this morning that you are born a sinner who is separated from God that God is gonna pour out all of his wrath and his judgment on sin, that there is an eternal destination for sin and sinners. And maybe you find yourself this morning thinking, I've been a good person, what's this guy talking about? I, I hope that someday I can go to heaven, I've been a good person. And you've never been told that it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, it's, it's irrelevant. But that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he took the punishment for your sin and he gave himself up for you. And that this free gift through grace is available to you. And all you have to do is humble yourself, repent of your sin and call on him to save you. And he will. And you will experience a change in your heart. And you will now understand what it means to pursue righteousness 
and sanctification and all these big words that we use in the church, they will start to make sense and your life will look different. And so if that's you today, right where you sit, you can say, God, I am sorry. I am a sinner. Please save me. And he will. And he will live with you forever and you will have a blessed hope of heaven to look forward to. And you will have the ability to do what is right. You will have what you need to live the abundant life here on this earth. And it is a good life. So that's you. Make that decision today. Don't delay and don't wait. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and so thankful this morning that sin does that sin no longer has power and dominion over the Christian. That we as Christ followers, we live in newness of life. We live a life that is now empowered by your spirit that's living inside of us, and it's different. And so God, as we live this life in this culture with all of the world's trappings, at our fingertips, help us remember that we are no longer owned by the old self, that we've been made new. And sin does not have the final word in our lives and in our hearts. And that we can follow you and serve you and trust you. And we're so thankful for that. God, if there's anyone in this room today that does not know you as their personal savior, God, I pray that your spirit would would begin working in their heart, that you would not let them rest until they settle their position with you. And that they would make that relationship what it needs to be through the power of your gospel. We're thankful for it. We live in it and we find our hope in it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Cedric.